Colossians 3.12 Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Father in heaven, please help us today to grasp these these truths, Lord God, that we can get with our minds, but we need to get in our hearts, Lord, and with the spirit that you created in us when we were born again. Lord, anyone that's listening to this that is not saved, I pray, Lord God, that they would turn from their sin and repent and believe the gospel and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome back to Bible Time. Um, I hope you understand salvation. If you need uh, more help on that, we have many other podcasts here that deal with it, but I would encourage you to read the book of John thoroughly. Read it from start to finish, read it over and over again, and read it until God works faith and belief in your heart to believe and be saved. We've talked about those subjects. Today we're looking at the new nature. The new nature. Now, this is part of our mini series on the new man. The Bible in Colossians has introduced us to this concept of an old man and a new man. It said in verse 9 Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after him in the in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And so this new man that has been put on then, we're commanded here, or that we've been told that we did put on when we were saved. Now in verse 12, we're commanded, put on therefore as the elect of God. Put on therefore, we're told to put on, which calls our attention there to that verse um, 10 of chapter 3. And this is the new nature of the new man. Now this new nature is that which is taught by the grace of God to to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. To live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Go to Titus 2 to look at that real quick. This putting on is an act of faith. It's not an act of the mind. You can't put these things on with mental power. You cannot put these on by willpower. You cannot put these on by an emotional experience or a working up of it. This is an act of faith that will involve the mind and it will involve the will and it will involve the emotions. Um, most of the time what we do as carnal Christians or as lost people trying to prove that we're saved by our, by our supposed spirituality, by our mock spirituality, by our fake spirituality, <coughs> we will try to emulate the results of the new nature, of the new man, and we will take the commandments that are in the Bible and try to live them out in the energy and power of our soul and of our flesh. And whenever we try to do that, eventually we reveal that we have not got the new nature in us. That it is exposed. There's a saying that the wind, the winds of time, have a way of exposing, or was it the waves of time? I can't remember. Have a way of exposing the works of the flesh. And it's um, just a matter of time before the works of the flesh are exposed and your attempts to prove that you're holy, that you're spiritual, that you're saved even, will come undone. And you will find yourself undone. And by the way, that's one of the best things that can happen to you if you're not saved, is to have your false spirituality and your false salvation revealed by the convicting power of the Holy Ghost and by the just the reality of the failure that faces you. One of the worst things that can happen is for you to continue patching up your failures with religiosity. Now, in Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God... Now, I asked you to turn there. I'm seeing many of you not even looking. Whenever I start to read it, please pay close attention. Focus your minds on the Word of God. This is not just me getting up here to talk and make noise. We're opening the Word of God. Treat it as the Word of God. Read it as the Word of God. Learn it as the Word of God. And pay attention to it as the Word of God. By the way, if you're even if you're listening to me, if you don't look at your Bible and read your Bible, you are susceptible to deception because whatever I'm getting wrong, whatever mistakes I'm making, or if I blow out and start to lie and preach heresy, you will not get it. You will be absolutely a lemming and you'll just follow me wherever I take you because you've learned to follow me instead of learning to follow the Bible. And I have no intention or desire of raising up a family or of bringing up a group of people 
people to follow me and be my disciples. There's no point in that. I'm just a sinful man. But Jesus Christ in me is God Almighty. And as long as I'm following Christ, follow me as I follow Christ. And the only way you're going to know if I'm in Christ and following Christ is if you have your own Bible open and you are reading it. And you are following along and you are studying it and you are making sure that I'm running straight with the word of God. Because no man on earth, no man is perfect. Only Jesus Christ who became a man, who became flesh for us was ever perfect. And he of course died a perfect sinless life, was buried and rose again the third day and through faith in him you can be saved. Now... Through faith in him, you will be saved if you put your faith and trust in him. So it says in Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. This is the new nature that God gives the new man after the new birth that's brought on by faith in the new revelation that God, God has given us in his word. And that's our mini-series that we've been looking at. We have several podcasts now up on this old man, new man, as we've studied many of the different aspects of the new life that is in Christ, the new work, the new walk. Um, Some of those we've studied, some of them we haven't. Now, this new nature that we have in Colossians 3, that we're told to put on, this new nature is a, um, it's a nature, (coughs) excuse me, of mercies, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against even against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We are called here to have a new nature. It is not natural to forgive someone. It is not natural to forbear someone. And we're called to put on that these things as a result of the new man that has been put off put on the old man put off the new man put on now the mind and the will and the emotions will try to comprehend then immediately any thinking person would say okay let's study this out and we'll see what does it what are bowels of mercies and how can i do that and then it'll say humbleness of mind what is that and how can i do that meekness what is that how can i do it long suffering what is it how can i do it and the carnal man will then begin to try to implement the results of humbleness of mind, and they will try to res- implement the results of bowels of mercies. So the car, do you understand what I'm saying here? We'll put the cart before the horse. And what we'll do is we'll try to produce the result of the nature we have been commanded to put on without putting on the new nature. Do you follow that? Instead of these things flowing from the natural result of the new nature within me, of the new man, these things will flow from my carnal strengths and animated by my mind, my will, and my emotions. Now, we have a hospital in Springfield, Missouri that was built by the Sisters of Mercy. It was called St. John's Hospital for years, and the ladies that built it were called the Sisters of Mercy, and they dedicated their lives to bowels of mercies. They dedicated their life their lives to alleviating the the hurts and the wounds and the sicknesses of mankind and trying to make man whole and a healing ministry in a hospital work and I've as far as I know I it seems that I've seen many other places I was just trying to remember where that other hospital was that I was just at um, I believe that was that was up in St. Louis, Missouri. There was another one built by the same group of ladies. And there weren't even that many ladies. <coughs> now, these ladies had dedicated their life. They remained single, as far as I know, and dedicated their entire lives to a healing ministry and hospital work. Now, that's a wonderful thing, and I'm grateful for it when I'm the one that needs help, and I go to a hospital, and there's a hospital that I can get some help at, and I have been to that hospital. I took some medical training there related with that hospital. I've been involved with that hospital. I'm grateful for that hospital, but I want you to know that that healing ministry did not save those ladies, and that healing ministry did not prove that they had a new nature either. 
You see, anybody can produce the outward effects of bowels of mercies. And someone who is very disciplined may live their whole life producing the outward effect of bowels and mercies without the inward change of the new man. There might be many different motivations that would induce someone to produce bowels of mercy. Some of you may remember the young man that wanted to produce fruit at the Christian school and the pastor there had come and thrown fruit at everybody and literally like pineapples and oranges and bananas and he had thrown the fruit out to the audience anyone who'd answer a question he'd toss them a piece of fruit and he would say and he did it to illustrate his point and this young man thought he got the point. He wanted fruit. You see, the Bible says, abide in me and ye shall bring forth much fruit. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. These things, the long suffering, the bowels of mercies, the kindness, the humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another. All of these things tie in directly with the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. And this young man wanted fruit. So he immediately set about to try to produce the effect of those heart attitudes. But the problem was he had never been changed never been born again. And if that's you today, if you're listening to this and you're living a life that is a good life, you're living a life that is attempting to produce the outward manifestations of a new nature, but inside there's something missing, then I beg of you to go back to the cross of Calvary and lay your good works at the foot of the cross because your good works can actually take you to hell. The Bible says the prayer of a wicked man is an abomination to God. A man that prays 14 hours a day, but yet has never come to the cross of Calvary. He's never truly repented of his sins and turned to God through Jesus Christ alone for salvation is lost. And that man, no matter what kind of good deeds he does, cannot be accepted by God. The Bible says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now imagine these Sisters of Hope Hospital and imagine when it started and these Sisters of Hope had started the hospital and these women come into the room to heal you and one of them is bandaged up and you say, what's the matter, sister? And she's she's about to do some kind of medical procedure on you and she says, oh, don't worry about it. I just have a highly contagious disease. If you get within three feet of me, you'll contract it and it'll eat your fingers, it'll eat your toes, it'll eat your ears and it'll eat your nose. But don't worry about it. I'm just going to come over here and do my act of kindness and my act of mercy. I'm going to change your linens. I'm going to roll you over. I'm going to bathe your wounds. I'm going to do it gently and I'm going to do it with a smile on my face full of bowels and mercies and meekness and long suffering. I'm here to help you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you something to drink. Don't worry about my highly contagious infectious disease. Would you worry about it or not? The general consensus here is yes, you would worry about it. And you, your heart might even go out to her and you might say to her, oh, dear sister, I'm so sorry to hear that you're sick and I'm so grateful that you want to help me, but get back quickly, please. Go back further, please. Can you please find someone else, even if they're a little bit meaner, and send them to help me? Because as sweet as you are, I can't take that disease. I can't allow that disease in my presence. And that would be a fallen man talking to a fallen woman about a simple disease. And God says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And the picture being painted there by the filthy rags are the filthy rags that would be wrapped around a leper's sores. And at the time that that was written, leprosy was completely incurable. It still is partly incurable today. They have some ways to alleviate it, mitigate it, slow it down. And I think there have been some cases of it being cured but in many parts of the world today if someone gets leprosy they are doomed because in various parts of the world there is not a level of medical care that can help a leper and God says in his word all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags those dressings for the wounds of a leper that are contagious and filled with the slough and the pus of the open wounds of the leper all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and the reason for that is because of our rebellion 
rebellion against God because of our sin, because of our pride, because of all the wickedness that has entered in and caused death to enter into our members and will eventually result in our damnation and separation from God. And until you are healed of the disease, your good works cannot count for you. And in fact, the reality is that whenever you stand before God at judgment, if you have put on bowels of mercies and long suffering and forbearance and forgiveness as an outward attempt of the flesh to reform itself or as an attempt to find peace with God or satisfy the just demands of a righteous holy God. Whenever you offer to God your meekness, your long suffering, your forbearance, your forgiveness, your bowels of mercies, your life of service to people and you offer that to God without having had your disease of sin washed in the blood of Calvary, without having been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed by the cross of Calvary, by the empty tomb, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then those good works that you do will actually count against you, the word of God says, because then God will take offense at the fact that you have turned up your nose at the finished work of Christ, and instead of accepting the free gift of salvation, you have brought your works of righteousness that you have done, which God says cannot save you, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. If I quoted that right, you can look it up. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, it says, but by his mercy, he saved us. Now, Jesus Christ has given us the blood of Jesus Christ. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be born again and partakers of the new nature, which I did not find that verse that talks about that today. It came to my mind just now, and I regret that I didn't um, have it written down. But there is a new nature that we are made partakers of. There's so much more than, than what we can cover in an hour. Whenever we're jumping into this and trying to cover in 45 minutes to an hour and 15 is kind of like what I'm trying to do at the most try to keep it around an hour average but as we're going around an hour we cannot cover these subjects in detail in an hour but what I hope this does is gives you enough of enough scripture and enough truth that you will have your minds quickened that God will begin to nudge you and teach you and as you get in the word of God you will be able to study these things out in much greater detail yourself There's no way that I can possibly bring an exhaustive study of this because this is an infinite subject. The new nature is an eternal nature. When a man is born again by the power of God, Jesus said he has eternal life. And that new nature of that new man inside is an eternal nature. It is the nature of God within the man. It is the nature of regenerated, quickened man. So here we're commanded to put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So much that we can study here. But these things, as, we, as we've looked at it, these must be brought in at what we're, what we're being commanded here is to put these on as the nature of the new man so that this is how we react when we're in a situation. Do you copy that? This is what we're trying to do here is that by the power of God and faith in his word, the new man then puts on the new nature and the new nature that is put on will then result in godly Christ-like reactions not actions, reactions. In other words, this will become what we call second nature to you. Now, whenever people are getting into self-defense training or military training, they will train them to take a gun apart and put it back together until they can do it in the dark, in the rain, in the mud, and do it and, and be able to take their gun apart and put it back together and fire it without a misfire in the dark. Then they call that second nature. They train them to be able to react in a situation without having to stop and think about what to do.
Because in a, in a war zone, men die whenever they have to take time to think about what to do. So they need to know how to react to situations so that their reaction is a pre-thought, pre-designed action that then will result in a good and desired end so that that soldier when he sees a grenade he doesn't have to think oh a grenade that's going to explode what should I do maybe I should run boom too late he needs to see the grenade and react to the grenade He needs to move instantly as soon as he sees it. And what God is having us do whenever he tells us to put on, to put on these things as we've put on the new man, is to put on the nature of Christ so that when something happens, our reaction that naturally comes out of us is an action of Christ. Boy, that's a tall order, isn't it? That's not something that you can do by pure discipline. You might be able to discipline yourself to do some of these actions and force yourself into it for a plethora or a a menagerie of motives. You might have all kinds of different motives that you have to make you um, try and produce these things. But God wants these things to be not second nature even, more than second nature. God wants these to be your very nature. God wants this to be your very nature. Now, remember, we've been talking about the reality of spirituality here in Colossians. And the reality of spirituality is that through faith, we believe God's word is literally and perfectly true, which is what faith is. Faith is trusting the veracity of the one speaking. Did you get that? I've said it probably in every other podcast, and I'll probably say it in every other of the next ones, because this is one of the most misunderstood words in our culture. Faith. Faith means trusting the veracity of the one speaking. It literally means taking someone at their word. So faith in God means taking God at his word, which means you must have God's word in order to have faith in God's word. If your faith is in a commentary, you do not have faith in God. If your faith is in a pastor, you do not have faith in God. If your faith is in a priest, you do not have faith in God. To have faith in God, you must take him at his word, which means you must find his word, get access to his word, hear his word, and heed his word, and obey his word. And that's faith. Faith is literally, is believing that God's word is literally and perfectly true, and then setting out to obey the impossible commands and satisfy the impossible demands of God's word by faith in the promises God gave us. Did you hear me today. God has never asked anybody to do to do things that were possible. He's given some commands. He told Adam, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and he gave him everything he needed to do it. But whenever it comes to salvation and it comes to spiritual life and it comes to actually following Jesus Christ, God has never asked anyone to do anything that was possible. Ever. He doesn't. Nothing that God asks a Christian to do is possible. Did you hear me? It's all impossible. It all must be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, what God asks to do must be... You say, wait a second, I can put on bowels of mercies. Those sisters of mercy, they lived an exemplary life of mercy. I can do that without the power of God. You can do what they did without the power of God, but you cannot do it the way that God demands that you do it to please God without the power of God. That's the key. And you say, well, that's, I think you're reading into it. Go back and study out the rest of what we've been studying over the last 40 some podcasts in the book of Colossians. As we studied out the context, you will see it is absolutely true. God demands perfection. God demands perfection of the heart. God perfect God demands perfection of the motives. God per- demands absolute perfection and he demands that that those things which are done in his name be done in the power of his spirit. <clears throat> so God here gives us 
um, the ability through faith, we believe that God's word is literally and perfectly true. And then we set out to obey the impossible commands and satisfy the impossible demands of God's word by faith in the promises God gave us. As we then act by force of mind and will and emotions, they are going to play in. Spirituality is reality. Spirituality that does not touch the literal physical world is useless and it is mysticism. It has no bearing on anything that we have to do with and it's not even worth discussion points. Spirituality, according to God in his word, always comes down to reality and literal truth. So as we then act by force of mind, will, and emotions, which are sanctified by the word of God and prayer, trusting in the Holy Spirit of God to empower us to keep his commandments, the impossible becomes possible. The mountains of sin and habits and flesh and temptation and false motives all of those mountains and all they all are cast into the sea and we go forward on flat dry ground where it was once impassable and impossible where there was ocean the mountain fills it where there was mountain it becomes a plain who art thou O mountain it says before Zerubbabel a type of Christ thou shalt be made a plain a beautiful prophecy in the book of Zechariah who hath despised the day of small things and this is the life of the Christian every day is a day of small things in the life of a Christian every day is a day where my wicked flesh could cause me to sin but if I by faith go to God in his word and lay hold on the promises of God's word before me the mountains of my sin the mountains of my habits the mountains of my flesh nature the mountains of my old man the mountains of temptation the mountains of false motives they become a plain before Zerubbabel who I have laid hold on by faith and as I follow Christ I'm able to go over on dry ground through the oceans and on flat ground through the mountains where once they were mountains I remember um, reading about Hannibal in the um, Punic Wars between Rome and Carthage thousands of years ago. Hannibal was a man that was desperately, zealously patriotic, and he saw Rome as the greatest threat to Carthage. He was wrong. Carthage was the greatest threat to Carthage. But old Hannibal saw Rome as the greatest threat to Carthage, and he set out to conquer Rome. He was a very wealthy man, and he financed his own army. He went up to what we call Spain, and then crossed the Alps into Italy. And today, they still use the roads that Hannibal carved in those mountains. His engineers used explosives and they were able to get elephants over the Alps into Italy and he launched an invasion of Italy that lasted more than a decade and ravaged Rome from north to south and it actually ended up turning Rome into the world superpower it became because Hannibal didn't have the strength to overthrow them but that's immaterial to our lesson today. Now my point is, Hannibal made roads through the mountains. All of that just to say that. Sorry for the tangent. <clears throat> Hannibal made roads through the mountains. It took him most of a year to get from Spain to Rome, making roads. But God, in his word, says, If you'll say unto this mountain, be, cast, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, it shall be done unto you. And how does that impossible promise become reality? It becomes reality when we exercise faith. And what is faith? Trusting the veracity of the one speaking. Now, in order to build our faith, we're told here in Colossians that we are to put on, therefore, as the elect of God. So he throws this in to help our faith because the faith is what is, what is required to remove the mountains of flesh and habits and temptation and false motives. So here we're to put on as the elect of God. Now this deals with our confidence to build our confidence in God. Not my confidence in myself, but my confidence in God. The concept of election is all through the Bible and we're not going to study it out in detail today. Um, possibly when we get to a mention in another epistle where he deals with it directly, we'll study it directly. But the idea of election is chosen by another. And here Paul tells us to put on as the elect of God as 
chosen by another. Imagine that you are out trying to hoe potatoes and you're a vassal serf in a feudal kingdom, possibly in northern Germany, and you're sitting there hoeing potatoes 1,500 years ago and your life has no real meaning and no real direction. And all of a sudden, you hear the sound of hoofbeats and here comes one of the great um, feudal lords of your area and he rides in with a train of knights in shining armor and he looks down at you in the field and he says you follow me now all of a sudden your life has direction it has meaning and it has order and it has discipline and you fall in behind your feudal lord and you follow him back to the castle and when you get there you're sent to the armory and you're told put on therefore Put on, therefore, and there is the heraldry of your Lord. There are the armor and the implements of battle. There are the weapons that your Lord has for you to use in the coming fight. And there is a flag for you to follow. And one minute you were dressed in rags and covered in dirt and hoeing the potatoes. And the next minute you're marching in an army and you're wearing the heraldry of your Lord. And the sun is glinting off the head of your spear as you go and sing the ballads of your master and your Lord as you go into battle. This is the Christian life. This is the Christian walk. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, not in myself. My confidence is not in myself, but in him who called me. My faith is in God, not something that I conjured up, but my faith is in God himself, that he in his infinite love and sovereign power and mercy, he chose me. He chose me. I didn't choose him. I had nothing in me to even get an application in. And yet he chose me. He illuminated my mind. He illuminated my heart. He brought me the word of God. He brought me a preacher. The Bible says, how shall they hear except someone preach? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And God sent a preacher to me. And God sent the word to me. He sent the Bible to me. He illuminated my heart. He illuminated my mind. The voice of God Almighty shook me with fear whenever I said, Thou shalt not steal, quoting back the word of God. And suddenly the realization and the convicting power of the Holy Ghost broke in on my little boy consciousness and showed me that I was a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, even though I couldn't even comprehend the doctrinal truths that were happening and becoming a reality in my life. And I turned from my sin to a Savior, Jesus Christ, a sovereign Lord who is now my King of Kings and my Lord of Lords and he's given me a heraldry and he's given me armor and he's given me weapons and he's told me put on therefore put on therefore now these promises that he gives me these promises that we believe in to go forward these promises that that give us that we act the promises of God dearly beloved activate our faith do you hear me today faith is trusting the veracity of the one speaking and the promises of God give us a place to exercise our faith when we say God said it I believe it so I'm going forward He says, put on as the elect of God. What are some of those promises? How about I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? How about 1 Corinthians 10, 3? There is no temptation that hath taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, not man, God. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose so we're to put on as the elect of God and our position as the elect of God is brought into this discussion in order to bolster to strengthen to lift up our faith in almighty God and get our eyes off of our own weak self and get our eyes on our Lord and master who called us and who elected us he says put on therefore as the elect of God and listen to the next two words he gives holy and beloved holy and beloved now we're holy positionally in Christ we're holy positionally in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things 
are become new. When I call a reference, please look it up in your Bible. All things are made new. We're made, we are in Christ positionally and therefore we are holy in Christ. And there are many, 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 many more scriptures about that. But we're also holy practically in Christ. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Do you see the practical reality of spirituality? Your position in Christ means nothing if it has no practical outworking in your life. Spirituality is reality, and it touches reality in practical and literal and physical ways. And if it doesn't, it's not God's brand of spirituality. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the word of God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was what? Some kind of mystical fog? No, there was light. It was visible, literal light that the Spirit of God brooding upon the face of the waters brought into being by the Word of God, Jesus Christ, at the will of God the Father. All spirituality in the Bible has practical, literal, physical application or it's not God's brand of spirituality. Hallelujah. Bless His holy name. He says, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily, is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. And that's exactly what we're studying in Colossians 3. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness long-suffering for bearing one another and forgiving one another if any man <coughs> excuse me if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do ye as the elect of God as holy and as beloved John three sixteen says for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life God so loved the world, he gave us salvation. Go to Romans 5 and look at that salvation in more detail. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here, (coughs) excuse me, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. So this is the result of this faith in God, and guess what? Again, it's a practical reality of spirituality that comes out of faith. Anything less is not God's faith. And it says here, (coughs) verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us, holy and beloved. When you're saved, the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And how does he shed that blood? By comprehension of what we were and what we've become. Jesus said, He that is forgiven much, loves much. Romans 5 goes on in verse 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through 
him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The love of God, he says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Put on because you are elect. Put on because you are holy. Put on because you are beloved. And if you will focus on those three things, and if you will um, seek God in faith and in his word for those three things until you lay hold on them by faith and make them practically yours, then the next things that we are commanded to put on will be as easy for you to put on as the armor would to that surf. It may take a little bit of adjusting. It may take a little bit of working, but these things that we're about to read will no longer be ephemeral. They will no longer be imaginary. They will no longer be conceptual. They will be a reality as real to you as armor and habergans and coats of mail. As real to you as a shirt, as real to you as a pair of pants, these things will become more real to you. I'm telling you today, God existed before the world was created and God is a spirit. What is more real, the spirit that created the world or the world that was created by the spirit? You tell me, what is more real? Tell me today. The spirit that created the world, God Almighty, he is more real than the trees that you see because he is the one that spoke the trees into existence. Do you hear me today? We've got to get our minds changed and transformed back into a biblical understanding. And until we do, these things will continue to be foggy to us because we're so busy looking at the carnal, looking at a hamburger, looking at a pig, walk, walk following in its mire, looking at a tree, looking at a cloud in the sky, trying to build a building, trying to do numbers and math and write on a piece of paper or type on a computer. But the reality is that almighty God who created the world is more real than the world that he created. And these spiritual truths that God wants to teach us are more real than our physical circumstances that we live in. I'm not teaching Scientology. This has nothing to do with Scientology. We're not talking about the chair doesn't really exist. It does. There is a reality to spirituality. But the reality is that the spirit is more real and more powerful than the literal chair that really does exist. Do you follow that? This is why Jesus could walk on water. This is why Jesus could walk into a room with the doors shut and locked without opening the doors and his resurrected body. Because the spiritual is more real than the physical. The physical is a shell. The spiritual is life. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are life. In John chapter 6, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He did not say the flesh isn't real. He said it profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And here today we are studying the literal, physically manipulatable. You can memorize them. You can write them down. You can read them with your eyes. The physically manipulatable words of God. Not manipulatable in the sense that he will allow them to be removed from the earth because he will not. He will keep his word just like he promised. But they are manipulatable in the fact that you can copy them. You can read them. You can write them down. You can memorize them. and therefore they are physical words but Jesus Christ said they are spiritual words and they are spirit and they are life so now let's look at these three things or more than three things here because of God's sovereign choice because of God's imputed righteousness our positional holiness because of God's power his promised power and presence to give us practical holiness because of God's conditional love which he has fulfilled on Calvary through Jesus Christ we can now put on bowels of mercies by the way God never ever promised unconditional love he didn't 
God doesn't even give promises without conditions on the Bible. I don't want to run that rabbit, but I want to mention it. God's promises and God's love in the Bible are conditional promises and conditional love. That's the whole point of the gospel. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the conditions of God's love. If you will come to God through Jesus Christ alone, you will be a recipient of God's conditional love because he has fulfilled his conditions in Christ. If you refuse to come to God through Jesus Christ, you will be barred access to God's love and suffer an eternal fate in the lake of fire, which the Bible calls a furnace of fire where the worm, the body, dieth not. Now, because of God's sovereign choice, God's imputed righteousness, God's promised power and presence, God's conditional love fulfilled in Christ on Calvary, put on therefore bowels of mercies. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Bowels of mercies. Um, think for a moment about Jesus Christ. He will, um, Lord willing, we'll look at Christ real quickly. He will illustrate for us each of these because he is the perfect illustration of each of them. Think of Jesus Christ on the cross between two thieves that are railing at him and mocking him. And in the midst of their agonies and the travail of Christ, one of those thieves says to Jesus Christ, Lord, remember me when um, thou comest into thy kingdom. You can look it up and get the word for word from an authorized version Bible, perfectly accurate and perfectly preserved. But he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. At the same time, same place, there were men casting lots for his garments, the soldiers that had crucified him. And Jesus Christ said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus Christ was the epitome of bowels and mercies, but Jesus Christ's bowels and mercies were not done to earn him any kind of merit. They were done because he has the perfect nature of bowels and mercies and we are called to put on the nature of Christ. Jesus Christ was kind. When they brought little children to Jesus, the disciples thrust them away. But Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. Also, they would bring the sick, they would bring the lepers, they would bring the blind, they would bring the harlots and the publicans, they would bring tax collectors like Zacchaeus, and the religious elite would frown their noses at them, but Jesus Christ would let them in his midst. Think of Jesus Christ at one of the final feasts that he went to before his passion, um, which I don't even usually call his passion because that's not a biblical phrase for it. Um, if it is, I missed it. Please correct me. I would love to be corrected by the word of God. When I'm in error, I, I do not want to mess, it, mess up God's word or speak evil of it. But it says there that Jesus at that feast had a woman come to him and weep and the tears fell upon his feet and she kissed his feet and wiped his feet with the hairs of her head. Now any self-respecting man would push her away and any self-respecting religious man that knew her background would definitely push her away according to the Pharisees that were sitting there. But Jesus Christ said, let her alone she hath performed a good work and he says that her sins were forgiven and he was kind to that woman go to philippians chapter 2 in your authorized version bible philippians 2 now if you're using the authorized version is the only pure translation of the word of god into english all others have come from edited manuscripts they are translations of edited manuscripts that have been edited by various groups and organizations to make them meet their various religious and political ends philippians chapter 2 and for that purpose, if you have another Bible, particularly, <clears throat> I'm not picking on it, just telling you the truth. If you get an NIV and read Philippians 2 in, in the NIV, it will say the exact opposite of what we're going to read here in this Bible because it has been edited. The manuscripts have been edited. And the concordance, by the way, if you get a Strong's concordance, it now has the edited words in it for the Greek and the Hebrew. So if you look up a verse in a Strong's concordance, it will give you a different Greek word than what was actually in the original manuscripts. It has been edited. Now, here it says <coughs> in Philippians <coughs> chapter 2, 
Um, Let this mind be in you, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That plainly says that Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Now, just for the sake of fairness here today, I mentioned the NIV and I'll quote it as best I can here. I try not to even read these very much because I want to keep the pure word of God in my mind. But it says in that verse that Jesus Christ, it says, thought not to be equal with God. You look it up. Tell me if I lied. Write me in the context. Copy, paste. Now, it might depend on the NIV you use because they're constantly changing. And if you get an NIV from a different year and a different edition, it will contradict other NIVs from other years and other editions. So it may be different in a different edition. But the edition, what Bible are you using? For Christ's sake, get a real Bible, and we'll move on from that today. That's not our main drive. It's extremely important, so we're going to move. But, so we'll mention it, but we're moving on. So it says here that Jesus Christ thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That Jesus held himself in a status of equality with God is in effect what this is saying. And it says, but he but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We're called in Colossians to humbleness of mind. Philippians gives it to us in several verses in a very compelling argument here or way of stating it. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These verses simultaneously establish the reality that Jesus Christ is God while being separate from God to the extent that he is the Son of God. And this deals with the Trinity and the doctrines thereof. But while exalting Jesus Christ, This passage also teaches us that Christ humbled himself and became in the form of a servant. That Jesus made it was made in the form of a servant. Jesus already existed, but in his pre-existent state as equal and one with God, as the Bible teaches in 1 John 5-7. In the literal word of God, if you have some other book that's not the actual word of God, but rather a paraphrase or a translation of an edited text, they will cut out that verse or cast dispersions on it. First John 5, 7 says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And these th- Jesus Christ, as being one with God, humbled himself and was found in fashion as a man and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We're called to the humbleness of mind that Christ exhibited as part of our nature. That is not part of the nature of Joshua Michael Burks. Even in this 53 minutes, we're at 50, 51 minutes and 39 seconds we just passed here of this little message. And during this podcast, I can think of at least twice, maybe three times, where subconsciously, as I've been teaching, I have recognized subconsciously pride boiling up inside of me and had to say, God, help me in Jesus name and lay hold on the promises of God and bring my flesh under and put on the humbleness of mind of Jesus Christ and by his grace I am doing that not by my own strength help me Lord to do so it is your will Lord and I'm praying according to your will therefore I know I have the petition that I ask of thee now it says here meekness we're supposed to put on meekness the Bible says I beseech you through the meekness and gentleness of Christ Jesus was known for his meekness and meekness does not mean mealy mouth it doesn't mean that you talk in effeminate tones and you hold your knees together like a lady and you walk around wagging your hips meekness means power under control do you have 
to be powerful to be meek. You have to be strong to be meek. Meekness means that the power within you is brought under control. And the meekness of Christ we're called to exhibit. That the power of God that he gives to us to live the Christian life must be constantly brought under the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. This is the whole point, by the way, just to whet your appetite for something to study on your own of Jesus' parable of the wineskins. No man putteth new wine into old wineskins, lest the bottles um, break and the wine be spilt. You can look that up on your own. But if your power, if God pours out his power upon you as a Christian to live a holy life, and then you do not have the discipline and the, and the power through faith in God's word and promises and through the activation of God's promises by using your mind and your will and your emotions to put into effect the living word of God, then you will blow out and what God gave you to help you to be a help to other people and to live the life of Christ on this earth will actually do damage and you can study that out on your own it's not part of our lesson today just a a whistle wetter get you interested now the long suffering here how was long Christ long suffering I can think of Christ whenever he came down from the mount of transfiguration and there met him a great crowd there and his disciples coming with them and there was a father of a child who had a devil and the child would throw himself into the water and into the fire and he had besought the disciples that they would cast out the devil and they could not and Jesus's response was something to the effect of oh faithless generation Generation. How long shall I suffer you? How long shall I be with you? And then he said these words. Get this right here. Bring him to me. And what did he do? He cast out the devil. And he healed the child and restored him to his father. And his disciples then came to him and said, Why could not we cast him out? And he said, Because you lack, basically because you lack faith. Study it up. Get the word for word version from the authorized version Bible. But he said, Because you lack faith. And he told him, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. So what did he do? Not only was he vexed by their lack of faith, but then he called the child to him and healed him anyway. And then he gave him to the father anyway. Even though the father had exhibited an inability to help his child and an inability to have faith in God, he still helped the father and he still restored the son to the father. And then whenever his disciples came to him and said, why couldn't we do it? He taught them. Jesus Christ was long-suffering, though his soul was vexed by the faithlessness of this people. Yet he continued to heal. Yet he continued to preach. Yet he continued to teach. And so he is with us today. I'm so grateful for the long-suffering of Christ. We're hurrying here, trying to get through this list. Forbearing one another. Forbearing one another. Think of Jesus Christ. Whenever he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there in the Garden, the disciples had come with him and he took with him a couple of his disciples Peter being one of them and John I believe was one of the others and he went a little further about a stone's cast he told them watch and pray and he went about a stone's cast and began to pray being in agony saying father if it be thy will let this cut from pass from me nevertheless not thy will not my will but thine be done and when he came back he found his disciples sleeping and he awoke them and he said could you not watch with me one hour could you not watch with me one hour and he went back and prayed and came back and found them sleeping and every time it seems that he went and prayed he found his disciples sleeping and when jesus slept all they would do is worry do you remember the boat here there he is sleeping in the back of the boat and his disciples they couldn't sleep now they're worrying when jesus said stay up they couldn't stay up they'd fall asleep because they were tired but when jesus would sleep they would worry and so they woke him up master we perish and he and he guess what he calmed the winds and the waves he forbeared he forbeared the bible says he knows our frame that we are but dust and we need some forbearance and this all ties into that new church that we talked about yesterday for this church to go 
We're going to have to have the new nature of Jesus Christ, not something we're forcing ourselves to do, not something we're reminding ourselves to do. After we have an unchristlike reaction, we need this to be in us as our nature so that we will react with the long suffering and the forbearance of Christ. It says forgiving one another. Now Jesus Christ was approached by Peter and he said, how oft shall my brother offend me and I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus said, nay, I say unto you, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. And then he taught them on forgiveness, which we don't have time to get into, about a certain man who owed his master just a few pence, and he couldn't pay it, and his master was going to cast him into prison, but he, pe- he begged for pardon, and his master let him go. But then that same servant that owed his master went and found another servant that owed the first servant. And he said, pay that thou owest, and that other servant couldn't pay. Or the, ser- the first servant owed an unpayable debt was what it was. And the second servant owed a few pence. And the, sec- and the first servant would not forgive the second servant. And Jesus said, so will your heavenly father do unto you if you do not from your heart forgive men their trespasses. We're to have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And it says here, as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's a tall order. As Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We are commanded to forgive in the same manner and power as Christ once forgave us. Go to Colossians again and look at Colossians 1 and verse 14 as we close here. Oh, Lord, help us. We've got um, charity still yet. We're going to have just a few more minutes. I ask you to bear with us. Colossians 1.14, as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. He says here in um, that Jesus Christ hath delivered us from the power of darkness. God hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. How did Christ forgive us? By taking our sins on his own self on the tree. And we are commanded and called by God in the word of God through the apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to forgive as Christ forgave us. He tells us to put on as the elect of God, as holy and beloved charity. And that takes us to 1 Corinthians 13. And we could study that out for a whole day. We're not going to. I don't believe that's what the Lord would have us do. We're just going to touch it and end and move on. And you can study as much of this as you need. 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, oh God help us, this really does sum it all up. I just need a few more minutes of your time. I pray that you'll bear with me and that you even will bear with me and listen and pay attention for these few minutes. That This he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, charity is the expression of perfect Christ-like love. Most Bibles will re- will edit this and put in the word love, which is not the same as the word charity, no matter how you cut it. Charity is the perfect expression of Christ's love. Charity is the outworking of perfect Christ-like love. Love is a generic word that can be applied to an emotion or even in our culture to an act, a sensual act between two or more humans. It can, be a, it can be applied to all kinds of perversion. But the word charity cannot be applied to those things. It is the expression of perfect Christ-like love. You cannot have charity without having the love of God in your heart. But if you have the love of God in your heart, you will have charity. It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. 
Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, if you're banking your Christianity on your prophecies, they're going to fail. If you're banking banking your eternal soul on your experience of tongues, it's going to cease. If you're banking your eternal salvation on the knowledge of the word of God, it shall vanish away. The litmus test is charity. We talked about the Sisters of Mercy, and they poured out their life in bowels of mercies. I can't see their heart, but God can, and God will judge the hidden motives of their hearts. Why they did what they did. If they did it through charity, the love of Jesus Christ pouring out of them because perhaps they were born again by the power of God, then in that case, they would be a saved person, and they will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But those same sisters of mercy if they had any other motivation for what they did if they did it because they believed that they could earn their way to heaven through their works even if they didn't say that they believed that but if in their heart they did believe it then their eternal destiny is the lake of fire do you see the reality of spirituality do you see the reality of what God is saying here and the necessity of these things in the life of a believer charity were commanded to put on charity <clears throat> as we look as we close here it is no coincidence that after diving into all of these doctrinal discussions and all of these amazing revelations of truth that Paul gave the church at Colossae he's going to end the rest of the book of Colossians the rest of the book primarily dealing with the nuts and bolts raw day-to-day reality of practical interaction between people did you follow that maybe I hope that wasn't overly wordy or anything like that god help me just to speak plain that paul is going by inspiration of the holy spirit to deal primarily with the basic dealings of humans with humans for the rest of the book of colossians why because spirituality is reality Because we're called to a new birth and through that new birth become partakers of a new nature and a new man and we have a new walk by the power of God and by a new revelation as our guidebook and we are to live this new nature that God has given us in his word and it can only be done by the power of the holy spirit of god we could have spent our whole hour we could spend well first corinthians 13 if we did one podcast on every verse it would take 13 days 13 podcasts and we would probably barely be even touching the surface of what god teaches about charity i encourage you to study it for yourself and i encourage you to consider today First of all, is this me? And secondly, what would it take to make this me? I'm not asking you to force yourself to do things that you don't really want to do to prove to yourself or anybody else that you are a Christian or that you're saved. What I'm asking you to do is what the Apostle Paul asked you to do. If ye then be risen with Christ, if you really are, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. If you're saved, prove it, not to me. Prove it to God. Prove it to God by obedience to his word. Father, please use this in spite of me. Use it, Lord, in spite of my fumblings and bumblings and inconsistencies and help these people that listen today. Help these in in our midst and help those that will listen online. Let this be for thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen.